What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mike Janella Show. I'm your host, Mike. Obviously, this is my 53rd podcast episode. Hopefully, it won't be my last. And this week, we have on someone very near and dear to my heart because she's a podcast partner of mine. We're doing some synergy, some cross-promotion. It's actress, singer, dancer, photographer, and yes, pro wrestling podcaster, Betsy Struxness. Hey, Bets. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. So for those of you who don't know, we're going to get the plugs in right now. Uh, Betsy and I host a wrestling podcast all about Roman Reigns, who's an amazing WWE superstar, called Believe That. We do it once a week. So, Betsy, they should listen to that too, right? Yes, absolutely listen to that. It's good stuff. Super nerdy. Super, You know, like, we're fans. Yeah, it's great <laughs> stuff. Uh, it's just like this show. It's on iTunes. It's on uh, Google Play. It's on Stitcher. So subscribe. Even if you don't listen but you love me or Betsy, just subscribe yeah. so our numbers go up. Listen yeah. for 10 seconds and whatever. We don't care. You know, throw us a review. Yeah, please. Please do. And make it nice because we're nice to you guys. So we would appreciate some reciprocation. Uh, but no, Betsy, outside of all that, like I said, I always have a hard time describing uh, people like you who are uh, so poly-talented, I guess. Like if Donald Glover ever came on my show, I wouldn't know how to describe him. But you've done a little bit of everything. And we're going to talk about all that. Hamilton, right. Wicked, uh, Broad City, Louie, photography, dancing, all kinds of fun stuff. And we'll get to it. But first, right. Betsy... What I start every podcast with on this podcast is the same question for everyone. I always ask, what's the best thing that's happened to you in the last week? So what is that for you? Oh, goodness. Uh, The best thing that happened to me in the last week is that I booked a voiceover gig. Congrats. Can you discuss what those details are or is it top secret? Um, I think it's a – I don't think – I mean, there was no NDA, so I'm sure that we can can talk about it. Break some news Um, here, please. It was for Shell, and it's a ra- it's just a radio commercial. I'm not sure where they're going to air it or when they're going to air it, but um, yeah, it's for it's for Shell. That's awesome. Well, congrats. Hopefully, uh, the shells are coming in. All the cash for you on that one. Right, right. We love getting work. I uh, know. So Betsy, uh, obviously, we do our wrestling podcast every week, and I decided, oh, let's bring her on to talk about so much great stuff because uh, you fit the mold of the kind of people I love chatting with here on the show. So uh, let's jump right into it. Cause a lot I want to get to with you. But first right. question, Betsy, what's Barack Obama like? Barack Obama is very nice, and he's very tall, and he has a very strong handshake that I've gotten to do twice. Yes, so I've you've met it. you've met Barack twice, which is incredible. Part of being in the original cast of Hamilton, one of the most popular Broadway shows of all time. I mean, where do I start? That must have been just such an incredible experience getting to. Yeah, you meet the president. You're working with Lynn. Uh, you're part of this just phenomenon for years. General worst reporter question ever. What was it like? <laughs> um, oh, goodness. Hard. Very, very hard. It was very hard. It's a very hard show. It well, how? Very- well, how do you mean? Um, the show itself physically is just very difficult for the dancers. Um, it's pretty much wall to wall movement for almost three hours. We are, um, you know, everyone in the show, set pieces, props, uh, whatnot. We're bringing on set pieces. We're soldiers. We're guests at a ball. Um, you know, we're all sorts of people. So we're dancing and moving around pretty much the whole time. Like there's maybe like one time in act one where you might be able to go to the restroom and maybe one time in act two that you might be able to go to the restroom. And that's like, you know, if you can find a dresser to unzip your corset that is attached mm-hmm. to your pants and like find a bathroom that's close by, like it's such stupid little stuff like that that makes it so much harder to do a three hour show. Um, but like on top of that, like it was amazing. It was amazing. Happy to hear that. And I haven't been lucky enough yet to see the show, but for those who do, they love it. And I, I hate hearing things that I love and the people who were involved in it and they say, uh, I didn't like it or it was a terrible experience. Because I want to believe that something I love so much that the people involved love it too. So I'm happy that that's the case for you. Or at least at least you're lying very well on the show. No, it's, it's one of those things that like the actual piece of art that we were doing and that we were creating is – it's wonderful. We all think it's wonderful. We're all happy to be part of that creative process, but it is one of those things that like, and I'm also sort of at that point in my career where I'm just, I've had enough experiences 
to now be at the point where I need to detach some of the emotion away from it, where it's like, Oh my God, I'm so excited that I got this job. Yeah. And then like, you're kind of never happier than that. moment. All downhill from there, isn't it? <laughs> you know? And like when I was younger, it was like the happiness stayed longer just because just getting the job was the dream come true. But now it's like, I just, I want, I want more. Like I want to get the job and I want it to be everything that I dream it to be. Like I, I just, I want it all to be awesome. And I want to be treated with, you know, every ounce of respect that I'm giving to the piece. Like, it's just, I don't know. It, it's hard. I, you know, it's, it's hard. <laughs> As you said, and I think people can tell in your voice, at least I can, that it, it's hard, but it's hard earned. And yeah, it's something that you put in. A lot, but you get a lot out of it, which is all we can ask for in our professions. Um, so in Hamilton, you were in the ensemble, and you were also an understudy for uh, Skylar Sister. Is that how it's pronounced? Excuse yeah. my ignorance. Well done. Well oh. done. Well, then I should have pretended like I knew what I was talking about the entire time. Wow. So yeah, how'd you... Like a Skylar. Yeah. So how'd you land the gig? Because obviously this thing blew up, and very early in its run, uh, I'm sure auditioning is a very vague and general term, but how'd you end up being part of this phenomenon? Um, well, I was in Matilda at the time and a friend of mine was sending me emails that had the breakdowns. Um, have, have you discussed breakdowns on your podcast? I have not. Or even if I have, just to be safe and cover our bases, why don't you explain what those are for the uninitiated? Great. So agents in the business get what we call breakdowns where, you know, shows and whatnot send out what they're looking for, whether it's for like, oh, we need ensemble dancers in Matilda ages, you know, 19 to 38, whatever, I'm making that up. It just gives you the breakdown of what everybody's looking for. And so I was getting sent emails so that I could like look and see if there was anything that I specifically wanted to mention to my agents. And the second I saw, um, at the time, it was listed as Hamilton mixtape. And the fact that it said mixtape, I was like, ooh, hip hop. Right. What's that like, what's that? Because I I love hip hop. My sister and I would take hip hop classes together uh, in Chicago when I was doing Wicked there. And um, so when I saw that, I was like, "Ooh, what's that?" And then I looked at the creative team, and it was the entire creative team from In the Heights: uh, Lin Manuel Miranda, who wrote it; Tommy Kale, who directed it; Andy Blankenbuehler, who choreographed it; and Alex Lackamore, who did the musical arrangements. And so I was like, "Well, that's a kick-ass team," and I have. I've wanted to work with Andy Blankenbuehler for so long. And so then I read the breakdown specifically for Angelica Schuyler. And at the end of it, it said Elphaba meets Alicia Keys. And I was like, I want, I want to, I want to be seen for this. This is what I want to be seen for this. Probably I the first time that that phrase or that grouping of names and words was ever put together in history. Well, well, because it turns out that Lynn wrote the breakdowns for the show and since he's such a musical theater nerd, as well as a music nerd in general, like, of course he has the mix of like what he wants. Right. Um, but yeah, so I told my, I told my agent that I wanted to be seen for the show. Um, I got submitted for the reading of it, which happened in January of 2014. And I went in and I sang and I did not get the job. Uh, and the story I was, took a turn. Yeah. And I was quite, I was quite disappointed. I was like, man. Um, but then they came back around and invited me to a dance call uh, for the workshop. And the second we started dancing, and for those who know the show, we danced to Yorktown and Room Where It Happens. And when we started dancing for Yorktown, I just had blinders on. And I was like, oh, my God, I want this job. I want this job so badly. Like everybody else just fell away. And I was like so clued in to Andy that I was like, I just want to I need to look exactly the way and like I need to do exactly what Andy is doing. And turns out I was given a nickname in that audition, which was by Lynn, by Lynn and by Tommy, the director. And they called me. Betsy Struxenbuehler because I was <laughs> as intense as Andy Blankenbuehler. Um, and I got the job. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Hey, when Lin-Manuel Miranda gives you a nickname on, you know, early days, that's, you know, you're doing something right. Yeah. But what was nice and what I've actually found out since then as well is that um, Andy actually brought in people to that audition that he already knew he was interested in working with. 
And I, I happened to be one of those people that they had their eye on even before, um, even before we started dancing, oh, which is flattering. lovely. Yeah. It's lovely to hear. And I actually found that out like a few months ago. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. It's like uh, the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. When did you know that the show was going to be what it ended up being? Or did you not know until you were just in the middle of this hurricane of, of popularity? Um, well, I think when I knew that it was actually a phenomenon was, and I want to say that this was in previews when we were downtown at the public. So this is off Broadway, but maybe it was after we opened and I was like, we were doing the show and there was this man in the front row with, you know, some sort of like Jersey on and this big gold chain of things. And I saw him with his head down low and like eyes closed and like I got off stage at one point and I was like, yo, has anybody seen the Busta Rhymes wannabe falling asleep in the front row? <laughs> Turns out, not a wannabe. That was Busta was Rhymes. <laughs> and he was not sleeping. He was closing his eyes anytime someone would rap because he wanted to focus on the lyrics and he wanted to focus on the rapping. Wow. And so he was just in the front row with his head down a lot because there was a lot of rapping. But then at the end of the show... Um, we had a standing ovation where I bow is right in front of Busta and he was clapping and looking every single person in the eye saying, thank you. And then over his shoulder was Mandy Patinkin yelling Bravo. Wow. And so again, be- two, two other names you wouldn't expect sitting side by side, but I guess that's what the show did. It brought those kind of people together. Exactly. Because you have, you know, Mandy Patinkin is, he's a name in theater. He's, you know, a name in film and television as well. Like he's been around for years upon years doing, you know, very artistic things, some commercial things here and there. You know, most people might know him best from Homeland or as Inigo Montoya in Princess Bride. Um, You know, but he's also highly involved in theater. And then you have Busta Rhymes who pretty much has nothing to do with theater and they both loved the piece so incredibly, so incredibly much. And then, like, after that, it was just, like, Paul McCartney, Bill Clinton, <laughs> Daniel Craig, Rachel Weiss, Jerry Seinfeld, Billy Crystal. Like, it just didn't end. And you're like, wow, this is like a, this is like a thing, huh? This is like a thing. And you jumped on it, too. You had your little uh, – your struck selfie empire that you started where you would get these pictures with everybody, and it, it's hilarious. So good for you taking advantage of this from the beginning. Thank you. It actually – it started off completely earnest because we were backstage. So the night that Buster Rhymes came, he was the first one. So we had a talk back after the show, and I, I went out on stage and did the talk back. And then during the talk back, the director came and got Buster Rhymes and took him backstage to the green room that we all shared together. And so, like, we get done with the talk back, and I like saunter back thinking I'm going to be really funny. And I'm like, yo, is Busta still here? And his friend was like, yeah, he's right over there. And I was like, that's, that's cool. That's really cool. <laughs> and so I'm standing there, like, I've just met Buster Rhymes, like, shook his hand. And then he's talking to Lynn about like, oh, let's create a show together, you know, whatever. And I'm just standing there. So I just like take my camera and like, you know, do half of my face. Being a photographer, you learn how to frame things. Right. And like did half my face. And I was just in a complete stupor, just jaw dropped because it, I mean, that's how we were feeling was like, what's what's happening? And then it kept happening. And that awe sort of never went away. Because you did like, you know, I get to meet a, I get to meet a former president. I got to meet at the time who I was hoping was going to be the next president as well. <laughs> um, you know, and like to get to meet a Beatle, to get to meet a James Bond, like it's it's ridiculous. Like it's just it was absolutely ridiculous. And you know, I think sometimes in this business we get tired of each other's promotional stuff, like on. Facebook and on this, that, and the other thing. And sometimes when someone's in a successful show and they're like, Oh, selfie with so-and-so. And they're like, always looking cool. You're like, yeah, but on the inside, you're still like, what is going on? Cause right. I'm nobody. Well, I highly encourage people to you look up hashtag strucks selfie, the internet yep. things are here forever. 
Uh, so S T R U X selfie, and you'll get all of these, and they're great. Like they make yeah. me, they put a smile on my face going back oh, and seeing I, them. I so, had so much fun, and then like some people awesome. got into them. Like one of my favorite ones is John Stamos, and he's just like pointing right to my camera. And like another one was Topher Grace. Um, Topher Grace, instead of letting me take a picture of him, he was like, "No, no, no, let me get, let me do it of you." So. Like, it's just half of Topher Grace's face. And then, like, myself talking to his, like, fiancé or wife in the background. Wow, a little, little swap, a little switcheroo. Yeah, yeah, it was good stuff. A little 70s show switcheroo to keep the alliteration going, which is awesome. Yeah. yeah, so check those out. So tell me something about the production that even the hardcore fans may not know. Something that would happen behind the scenes every night or after parties or, or the actual show itself. Give me something that maybe a super fan would, would have their, their jaw dropped or at least just be excited to know that maybe hasn't been out in the public. Oh my goodness. Um, I mean, so many, th- I'm like trying to think back to, cause it's also been over a year since I've been in the show. Sure. Um, so, I mean, sadly, the first thing that comes to mind is that like everyone like who sees the women in the costumes are like, Oh, the women look so hot. We all feel like we are in sausage casing and are like the fattest cows (laughs) on the Broadway stage. And like our pants give us camel toe and they feel really uncomfortable. (laughs) So we dubbed it, we dubbed it Hamel toe. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) You know, (laughs) there's a new, there's a new hashtag for you for all the Hamilton fans. Oh, so, you know, cool. any, any, like if anybody finds a picture of me in Hamilton and they like tweet it as like Hamilton, I'm not going to be offended. It's, it's something it. you've, you've already just resigned yourself, I guess, to, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I to experiencing. It. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, let's make some of those fans jealous right now. Uh, I'm assuming you have you have Lynn's cell phone number in your cell phone. Um, I do. So I'm not going to make you actually like call him or anything. But if you were to like text Lynn right now, like, hey, man, what's up? He would answer you back. How quickly? Um, well, I don't know. Cause he's super, he's super busy right now with like, who knows however many projects, but whenever he got back to me, he would probably get back to me with just one single text that says bestie as in B E S T Y. Because when we were doing the workshop, his assistant programmed all of our numbers into his phone for him and misspelled my name as bestie instead of Betsy. So then anytime, like anytime I get any sort of communication from Lynn, it's always bestie. I'm like great. really excited. So there you go, people. <laughs> Those of you, the, the Lynn fans, the Lynn, does he have like a fan base army name, like the Lynn or something? I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. He should, but all of you guys. Yeah. I'm talking to a woman who's got him in her phone right now and has a pet nickname for her whenever she wants. So that's how good of a job Betsy did. Um, do you, you've been, you said you, so been over a year now since you've left the show and this isn't going to be all Hamilton, this whole podcast, but it's just such a obvious phenomenon. I wanted to talk to you about it as much as I could. Did you ever go back and see it once you were out of it? Do you, do you listen to the mixtape at all? Is it in your iPhone or do you, once you're done with the project and this is for any project, I guess you work on, do you like to distance yourself yeah. from it or do you mind, not mind jumping back into it as a consumer? Um, well, what's funny is that I was actually listening to the Hamilton mixtape today because oh, it's been go. so long since I've listened to it. That, that Hamilton mixtape is awesome. And I mean, you want to talk about a dream, I mean, dream come true for Lynn, that he gets all of those people, you know, doing pieces that are inspired by this musical that he wrote. But like, it's also fun for us who did the show, because then you have, you know, you have people like Alicia Keys and like Sia and like John Legend, who are like redoing these songs that are near and dear to our heart. So like Hamilton mixtape, I'm pretty much down to listen to whenever, I maybe listened to like one or two songs from the, like from our cast recording, like once or twice. Um, I have not gone back to see the show yet. Um, but I re- really want to see James Iglehart as um, Thomas Jefferson and Marquita Lafayette. Cause he's awesome. Um, and wanna, and he's, he's a good friend of mine too. And so like, that would be fun, but I, I needed, I usually need distance um, because when you're, yeah, because when you're doing a Broadway show, like you're so immersed and pretty much your entire day, no matter if you have one show or two shows, 
pretty much your entire day is just geared towards doing that show, whether you have to show up for rehearsal, you know, or you just have to think about what you eat in order to do the show. Like it's just all geared. So that's your life. Like when you're doing a Broadway show, it's pretty much your life. And once I finish doing it, I need a different, (laughs) need a different life. Understood. And we'll talk about that here in just a sec, because it's funny. We recorded our wrestling podcast this week, right before this one. And we're talking about this one wrestler who has talked about giving up alcohol and working out three hours a day. And your life as a Broadway performer is very similar where you have to be, you're performing eight times a week and what you put in is what you get out. And you have to take care of your body in a way that people don't really understand. I don't think Uh, you're kind of are like a pro athlete in a way when you're on stage. Uh, yeah. And it, and it's all like everybody has their different, different approaches, you know, like when when people are younger and they're on Broadway, like early 20s, they don't think as much about what they're eating because your body just metabolizes it faster anyway. I miss so, those days, Betsy. <laughs> so do I. But like as I got older, I there I started to realize like, oh, certain things settle in my stomach differently. And like the way that I like to do a show is that I kind of like to be right at empty when I start where it's like, there's no food in my stomach and everything is just pure energy at that point. Mm-hmm. And so then it gives me the energy to like, usually get through like most of act one until I need a snack. Um, you know, but then there are other people who are like, Oh God, I can't imagine starting a show at empty. I would just like, they would be so gassed like five minutes in that some people uh, like Renee Goldsberry, who played Angelica Schuyler, always like, and she didn't dance as much. Well, she didn't really dance in the show. Um, and so that's a different thing too. But she liked to be full because it gave her so much more support to sing. Huh. Yeah. That's funny. I, I remind, like, I used to do play by play broadcasting for baseball, and I could never at the beginning eat within an hour of the game because all the talking with food. That's- I would just start burping all the time and you can't have that when you're live on the air. So you start learning how your body works and everyone's different. So that's, it's funny that some people can be so different doing the same thing basically. Oh yeah, totally. Um, all right. I, I, I saw some stuff you've written online about this Broadway lifestyle too. So we're going to get to that. But first, uh, to put a bow on Hamilton questions and Twitter, Twitter sometimes great. Twitter sometimes sucks. I put out a call this week, and you retweeted it, so you're millions and millions of followers, which I appreciate it, asking people for questions for you, right? Yep. I'm like, oh, great guest coming up. I want to give the fans some, some agency in this show. And no one sends any questions, so I'm going to stop asking fans for questions because you guys don't deserve it. So <laughs> there. But uh, one of my good friends uh, who saw that tweet texted me separately. Uh, her oh, name is Ariel Rinaldi. She's a huge Hamilton fan. And she was like, oh, my gosh, you got to ask these questions for me. So we're going to rapid fire run through those for her. Is that cool? Totally. Awesome. Uh, number one, she wants to know, what does David Diggs smell like? Oh, goodness. I'm like trying to come up with something in my head that's like the most magnificent thing ever. But I can't think of anything. David's awesome. Like, he smells great. He looks great. He is great. He's funny. He's sweet. He's talented. David is everything you want him to be. Total package. All right. So it's real. What you, what you see in the public persona is real. Um, similar, I guess we got a feeling for this from when we were talking about him before, but she wants to know, is Lynn Manuel Miranda uh, as nice in real life as he appears to be out in public, I guess? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. sometimes you hear, and I don't want you to put anyone on the spot, but sometimes you hear, you know, th- these auteurs or these people that are just so demanding and the genius comes with a cost, but it seems like he, that's not the case. No, he kept it lighthearted in rehearsal. And even when we were getting into some of like the stressful times, like tech and previews and stuff like that, like he was still there, you know, pepping up the group and wanting everybody to smile and have fun and, you know, and, and joke around and that it's necessary in times like that for sure. I can imagine. Uh, and her yep. last question, I think I know the answer to this one. Can she have Leslie Odom's phone number? I'm thinking that's a no. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Especially because he needs all of his rest because he's a new dad. Yeah, and that's very important. So we don't want to bother Leslie at all. <laughs> he's, he's raising a life. Um, so Broadway in general. And, I mean, let's run through your roles, uh, both off-Broadway and on. I mean, Hamilton, we know. You've mentioned Wicked already. Matilda, yep. um, Memphis, Scandalous, Leap of Faith, Oklahoma. Yep. Like, you've done so much stuff. How does it work? Like, I always try and analog it to what I know, which is media. Mm-hmm. And you start 
as a news guy in a small market in Montana, then you get a promotion to a mini market and a mid market, then a big one, or you start in minor league baseball, work up to, up to the pros. How does it work when you're trying to get to Broadway? Okay. Well, it's good that you asked me this because I, I am one of those people who have had to baby step the shit out <laughs> of this career path. I have never, I have never had the luck of someone who gets um, a big break where they like jump up, you know, like go from, you know, college to major leagues. Like it's, that has not been my path. So for me, I graduated from college and immediately went and worked on a cruise ship because I just wanted to have a job. I just wanted to work after college. I didn't want to wait tables. I didn't, you know, want to like pound the pavement. I wanted a job. So I did a cruise ship and then I came back to New York and I did like... Meaning like a cruise ship performance, like doing the shows yeah. on board? Yeah. So I had a six month contract on a cruise ship performing um, and then I came back and I did a, a non-union like regional theater production of Oklahoma. Um, and then I did um, a non-union tour of Oklahoma and then like another non-union regional theater of Chicago. And then finally, when I joined the union, when I got my equity card, because um, our union is called the Actors Equity Association. So when I got my equity card was with the All Shook Up tour. And that was back in like 2006. Um, and so life became a little easier then just because auditions are easier when you have an equity card. And um, so then I uh, did the All Shook Up tour and then needed a, like just needed a break for a minute. So I took six weeks to go to Europe and travel around on my own. And I came back to the city so refreshed mm -hmm. and like just happy to be in an audition room and like, didn't need anything from it. I just was happy to be there. And it was for Wicked in Chicago. And I wound up booking the job. Um, and so instead of, you know, I spent like two weeks in New York after Europe. And then I moved to Chicago for a year and change um, to do Wicked there. And then when I came back from Wicked in Chicago, I was unemployed and like auditioning for every Broadway show under the sun and booking none of it. Um, and then Wicked called to see if I wanted to go to San Francisco to fill in for somebody's medical leave. So I went and did Wicked in San Francisco for like four months. And then when I was leaving San Francisco, I just wrote the creative team and everybody an email just saying like, hey, thanks for having me. Had a great time. Like, I really want to be in New York at home and I want to be on stage every day because with the other two productions, I was a swing. Um, and I was like, which so means, if anything, which means what, um, well, let me finish this and then we'll get back to sure. that. Um, and so I was like, so, and I'd love to be on stage every day, uh, and in New York. So if anything comes up, like keep me in mind. And then like a month later, I get a phone call from wicked Broadway being like, Hey, do you want to fill in for so-and-so's medical leave? And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> and that was my Broadway debut. Um, but to go back to the swing thing. So for principal characters in the show, they have understudies, but who goes on for the understudies? The swings. Mm. So the swings are the people who back up uh, the ensemble members, but nowadays swings are also understudies for principals as well. So, you know, swings, swings do it all. Swings cover the ensemble. They cover, um, they cover principals as well. It's, it's, it's a rough gig. It's mm. a hard gig. Uh, I'm learning. This is my education uh, in, in the Broadway world. Uh, so, Let's go with that, too, because I do want to talk more about some stuff you've alluded to in terms of the daily grind and all that. But we'll save that for a little bit later because now you have my mind racing to all these things I've always wanted to know about Broadway. And Great. for those who are big Broadway fans listening, I apologize, but this is my show, so I'm trying to learn as much as possible. Uh, you've mentioned how you were just now you know, Chicago, San Francisco. What is the difference, if any, between being actually on Broadway here in the city and doing these touring productions is it that big of a gap? Or if I'm seeing Hamilton in Chicago, Wicked in San Francisco, am I pretty much getting the same experience I would if I came to Times Square? You're pretty much getting the same experience. And I would say, like, whichever production was the newest to be released might be the highest in caliber at the time just because that cast will have rehearsed together and, like, gone through tech together and they'll have a camaraderie and um, a relationship 
that a long running show no longer has. So, um, you know, but it like with Wicked, Broadway show has been out for a while. Tour has been out for a while, you know, so there it's like it's pretty much same, same. And a lot of the times they'll take people from tour principals, put them on Broadway. They'll take people from tour ensemble members and put them on Broadway. Um, what I, I mean, what I think is actually harder is the lifestyle. It is, it's harder to be on Broadway than it is to be on tour because when you're on tour, you only exist in the bubble of the show that you're traveling in, you know? So there's not as much like life stuff that's going on. You eat with the same people you sleep like, you know, sleep, not, I don't mean with each other. That happens too. But like, you know what I mean? You, you work together, you eat together, you socialize together, you travel together. And so there's sort of, it, it's not real life. It's not reality. And real life, you know, where you're dealing with apartment situations and you're dealing with a fucking MTA, like mm. it's harder on your personal being, on your soul to like live in New York city and work on Broadway. But at the same time, it's also, I think more fulfilling because you made it to Broadway. You, you got through all of the shit of New York city and you made that dream come true. So my next question then, once you do get there, what's, what's a day or a week like, and let's focus more on Broadway. Cause I think the touring and the traveling, like you say, it's kind of a bubble and that's all, that's your life in that city for those number of weeks. So you're performing in the show, you know, it's playing eight days a week. What time do you, what time do you wake up? You mentioned MTA. So you take the subway to the show. What time do you get home? What's rehearsal like? When do you eat? When do you go on dates? Uh, when do you visit family? Give me a, a week in the life of a Broadway performer. Um, so we'll start with just like the Broadway schedule in general. So I, I'm going to start with what is typically the Broadway schedule, which is Monday off. So you have Monday off. On Tuesday, there's one show, usually at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m., um, and you're not supposed to be able to rehearse on Tuesday. So you're supposed to, like, have your entire day off and have the, you know, most of the next day off as well. And then you do the show Tuesday night, and then you, the next day is on Wednesday is two shows, a 2 o'clock and an 8 o'clock. Thursday, you have a 7 or an 8 o'clock. Friday, you have an 8 o'clock. Saturday, Saturday, you have a two and an eight o'clock. And then Sunday is typically three, three o'clock. So then you get the evening into your day off into the day, of, you know, of going back into the show. And so just that alone is, isn't that, it's not that terrible. And especially if you get that schedule, because when you have Sunday evening to Tuesday, you know, mid afternoon off, it almost feels like 48 hours, but it's, it's not, it's one day a week. You get one day a week off because in the interim, you know, on Mondays, you're like packing your day with auditions or laundry or groceries, or, you know, maybe you want to take the day off and not do anything. And so you stay home in front of the television or, you know, stuff like that. And then on, on Tuesdays, same thing, you're probably going to auditions, um, you know, before you have, before you have the show, Wednesday is two shows. So you're not really doing too much beforehand unless you have an audition beforehand, which is typical as well. Thursdays are usually reserved for rehearsals. Um, and those would typically start around one in the afternoon and go till five if it's an eight o'clock show. Um, and then Friday is rehearsals as well. Sometimes same thing, one to five. Uh, you know, Saturdays, like maybe you're getting up and meeting people for breakfast before two shows, but probably not. And then Sunday you can usually fit in a nice like brunch, uh, but beforehand and then like performance energy is so much that you need, most people need a ramp down afterwards. So it's not like you just do a show, go home and go to bed. So most performers who are getting out of their shows around 10.30 p.m. probably don't go to sleep until like 2 a.m., sometimes 3 a.m., sometimes 4 a.m., depending, <laughs> depending on if people go out after the show. Yeah. Like I said, alcohol doesn't really go well in my system, so I, and I'm a homebody. I just, I just want to be at home. So I, I like to do the show and then be like, cool, bye. Right. But you're still getting home and it's either Netflix or going through reading yeah. some articles or just having some tea, I'm sure, just like chilling pretty much, yeah. winding down. 
Yeah. Well, the way that it would go in Hamilton is that like three things always needed to happen and you could usually only accomplish two of them. I personally needed a really good night's sleep. That's eight hours plus. And I absolutely mean that as a need because my body was so taxed by the end of the show that it needed that much sleep in order to heal itself. On top of that, body maintenance needed to happen, whether it was like rolling out your muscles on a foam roller, stretching or taking an Epsom salts bath. Um, and I, you needed to eat. And so it was like, if I decided to eat and do body maintenance, then I wouldn't get eight hours of sleep. And it, you know, if I decided to get eight hours of sleep, I could either eat and not do body maintenance or just do body maintenance and sleep. And then I wouldn't have enough food, which is also not a good choice. So like, that's when it starts to get, that's when it would start to get difficult. And that's where, where it starts to sort of wear on, on your lifestyle a little bit that you just like, you know, there comes a time where you're like, it's not, I'm just, I'm too tired. Like it's, I need a break. I just need a break. I, I, doing research for this, uh, a very instructive piece was one that I read by uh, at newmusicaltheater.com, which uh -huh. I think came out la early last year. And I, I quote this from you. You say at the time, I take Epsom salt baths after two show days and I go to physical therapy at the theater and acupuncture once a week to help maintain my body and my body health. And it's just – People, a lot of people, I think a lot of people get it, but a lot of people just think maybe oh, I show up, I sing, I dance, I act, go home, sleep, what a life, but it's freaking hard. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, Hamilton especially, just because it was really difficult, you know, I would, I still, and I still go to acupuncture once a week uh, to help my body out, because I just, I'm an active person in general, um, and I just want the laziest maintenance possible, and so, you know, to, to lie down on a table and have somebody stick needles in you and it be playing like great lazy <laughs> um but it took about a month i think of me not being in the show and still going to acupuncture once a week and then my acupuncturist was like oh your back is no longer swollen like i had had a swollen body for i mean i don't i don't know probably since matilda so my body was probably swollen for like three years <laughs> It's crazy. Uh, I don't. I don't know how you, how you guys do it. Um, it, it also you wrote a, you wrote a blog I think this week right for the ensemblist dot com talking yeah. about how there should be a best ensemble award at the Tonys. And I also want to read this because this paragraph really caught my eye, and it's basically <laughs> what we were just talking about right now. You probably know where I'm going. Um, so let's see. So, and you were basically arguing for why there should be this award in existence. And you say, after umpteen years of rejection, minor injuries, rehearsal in a studio, caps lock, gallons of sweat, blood, broken bones, elbows to the head, rehearsal on stage, blisters, wig preps, pushing through sickness, hairpins in my scalp, rehearsal for swings and understudies, dog walkers, missing family gatherings, CV appearances, applause, rehearsal, condescension, notes, wasted time, dreams coming true, becoming jaded, and on and on and on and on. And I get it. But it's all worth it in the end. For a while, for me, anyway, for, for the mo most part, yes. I mean, you know, like, I'm, I'm, what I've realized about myself is that, like, if I'm not in pain, I don't understand, like, I don't think I'm working hard enough. Hmm. Like the no pain, no gain classic thing. That's, you kind of live by that. It, yeah, but it, it's not even like a no pain, no gain. It's just like, if, if there's no pain, then like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing with your life, Betsy? Like, if your back doesn't hurt, you're not exercising hard enough. You know, if you're, if you're like, it's just, it's so dumb and it's really terrible. healthy. <laughs> no, 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 it's, to it's totally not. And I don't recommend anyone living, like, I don't recommend anyone living that way. But it's, it's true. Like I get, I like acupuncture the most. Like if I've worked out really hard and I have like sore muscles, it's that juxtaposition of like, it's such a relief then to get acupuncture. But it, I mean, it's sort of, so that's why for me, like all of that stuff that I'm talking about, like the hairpins in your scalp and, you know, the broken bones and the blood and the sweat and the tears, like all of it. Yeah. It's, it's worth it because the thing is, is that like, I am now part of theatrical history. I remember when I was a kid and uh, I was taking ballet, the director of the ballet program, his name is Todd, was Todd Bolander. And he was um, a protege of George Balanchine, who was huge in the ballet world. 
And I had a book that uh, talked about the history of the ballets that George Balanchine had choreographed. And like Todd Bolander's name was in one of them because he originated one of the pieces. And I was like, oh, I know, like I'm taking from him. And I thought that was so cool. And like, that's the thing is that like, I'm now, I am now part of Broadway theater history books. Like, I, like I, my name will, you know what I mean? Like my name will live on past me. Like I have a legacy. I have a legacy because of all of those things I just talked about. So like, yeah, it, yeah, it's worth it. And I'm ready to take some more lumps for new challenges and, you know, things like that. Like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm ready. Ready to take some hits. Which I think anyone in the creative industry, that's what they want is a legacy, right? To know that you did something that's going to live on, yeah, beyond you, that people will look back and say they were one of the greats or they were part of something transcendent. So you've done it already and you still have so much more to go. Uh, a couple more Broadway ingenue questions from me before we get to maybe what's next for you and stuff like that. How do you guys rem- – all the actors – how do you remember all those lines? Because I just still don't get how, how actors and actresses do it. Practice, 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 that's, practice. It's just repetition over and over? No secret tricks to it or anything? No secret tricks. That, that's what it is. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. You know, like it's for – I never worry about learning choreography at this point because I'm like, I'll get it. I'll, I'll totally get it. I don't ever worry about like learning a song. Like I'm not stressed anymore about like learning any of it. And like am I ever going to learn it on time? Yeah. If I learned Hamilton on time, I'm fine. You're good. <laughs> I've relied on teleprompters too much in my career to ever go out on a limb like you guys do. So I always am in awe that's of that kind still, of stuff. A teleprompter is a skill in and of itself. That's, that's you know, what I tell myself at least to go to bed at night. Yeah. Um, we're, doing, we're doing the same, the same thing every single day. Like it's the same thing. Right, Eventually, so me, it gets a little mind numbing. Yeah, so let me flip that question then. Does it ever get old? Because you're, yeah, you're doing this potentially eight times a week, and it's the same over and over for, you know, months, years. Yeah. Does that ever get old? Are there days when you're just like, man, I just don't have it tonight? I'm sure there's got to be, right? And yes, and I hate, and I hate that feeling. And that's like that. And usually, it gets old not because of the actual show itself, but because of all of the other bullshit. Like I started to get tired of Matilda, not from doing Matilda because Matilda is an awesome show, but it was from rehearsing it. We rehearsed all of, all the time. And so you go from being in a rehearsal room to opening this Broadway show and having audiences and having reactions. And that energy that you get from the audience gives you energy to do the show. But then during the day when you're doing the same thing and they need you full out like at show energy and you're not getting anything back because you have no audience, you're just drained. So then by the time you get to the show, you're like, well, I already did this three times today. And so like now it's not fun and I need this to be fun. And so I find that I just get I start to get angry and that's when I know I need to leave the show. That's when I know that it's gotten old for me is that I start to just get angry. And I'm like, cool, they need somebody else in this show. Somebody who's going to be happier to be here. And I need to not be angry. <laughs> can, you, can you leave whenever you want? Or are there contracts? Does that depend on the show and the role? How does that work? Can you just say, um, hey, I'm all out in two weeks and that's it? it? It depends on the show. The like lowest, the like the lowest part, you know, contract, the, the minimum contract that an ensemble member gets on Broadway um, is, is that we have a four week out. So we just have to give four weeks notice to be like, I will be leaving this show on this date. And so that's how, that's how we get out of that. Interesting. And then ironically, I'm sure once you have that end date in mind and sight, the energy picks back up because you can see the finish line and it's sort of like a dead cat bounce almost. Oh, for sure. I mean, by far my most energetic, most fun show that I've ever had in Hamilton was my very, very, very last show. And part of it was because I, I was so excited to dance the show that night because I didn't have to look after my body during the show. Cause I was like, well, whatever, whatever I do to it today, there are no repercussions because I don't have to do the show tomorrow. Right. Just let it all go. Leave it out all on the floor, which is great. 
Um, yep. All right, let's talk about some other stuff and moving forward. I don't want to keep you too much longer because we're already at 45 minutes, but I could talk to you all day because this stuff is great <laughs> to me. So pe- most people probably assume, and I got this a lot, my last job full-time was working for the San Diego Padres, Major League Baseball, talk show host. I was on Fox Sports. So once that show was canceled, people were talking to me like, oh, well, other baseball teams are coming after you. Like, this is great. Now you're going to just get job offers coming in like crazy. Yep. Nope. Not how it works. So uh, I'm wondering if you've gone through the same thing where people are like, oh, you were in Hamilton. You must be just turning down offers left and right. So what's uh, what's a post-Hamilton life like for you career-wise? Um, well, I'm, I'm trying to change the trajectory of my career path. Like thus far, it's all been ensemble work, um, which is awesome and it's lovely. Um, but I, you know... If you're really curious as to how hard it is, go to the ensemblist.com and read the blog that I wrote. Like it's really, it's really hard, and you don't actually get the respect from the uh, from the industry um, for what you're doing. And so I'm now to the point where I'm like, okay, well, I want to be respected now, and so I don't want to do any more ensemble work. So I'm trying to do more film and television work. Um, I'm auditioning for plays. I'm auditioning for, you know, off-Broadway musicals, but as a principal. Um, And I'm doing a lot of voiceovers. And you already booked that one this week with Shell, so we know that that's at least working, right? Yeah, yeah. Voiceovers have been, like, my saving – they've been my saving grace since I left the show. Ah, it's good stuff. I mean, it's great. I had um, Julie Alexandria, who is a TV sideline reporter for sports on a month or so ago. And same thing for her. She's been doing, uh, once her last gig ended, voiceover work. And if that can keep you keep yep. you set while you're looking for other stuff, more power to you. Yeah, yeah, it's great. You mentioned film and TV. You've done a couple spots. You've been, uh, you've been an episode of Louie. You've been an episode of Broad City. What was that process like? What did you love most and hate most, that versus working in theater? Um... Well, I love, so it was, Louis was awesome because, you know, he's writer, director, star of his own show. So he would like do the scene and then go watch playback and then give people notes and then like we'd do it again. And so that was fascinating to watch. He's awesome. Um, And then with Broad City, those two girls um, are amazing. Abby and Alana are awesome as well. Like just as friendly in person as you would think that they are. And what was hard about that one is that we were shooting like dead summer, late August, and it was in a yoga studio that didn't have air conditioning. And because they're filming, they can't put fans on because you would hear the fans. The noise, right. There's no air circulation. And I was wrapped up in a turban. Like I had a huge turban and it wasn't even a lightweight fabric it was like a tapestry you know like a tapestry they'd bought from like urban outfitters that they like tore into strips and like put around my head so it was really heavy and I was recovering from a neck injury in Hamilton from downtown and I was still doing I was doing Hamilton Broadway at the time so I had been like overheated and sweating all day with like uh, a neck like a stiff neck and then left with maybe an hour to like get a little bite to eat and then go do the show. So that was, that was difficult, but like so exciting. Cause you're like, Oh, excuse me. I just filmed broad city and now I'm going to go. Like, yes, queen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, queen. I'll take it. Like I love being busy like that, where it's just jumping from like dream job to dream job to dream job. Like more of that, please, please happy. Same. I see Ryan Seacrest with 37 different jobs, and most people think, oh, well, you have no time for yourself. But when you're doing something you enjoy, you're just hopping around left and right. That's awesome. I give, give us more jobs, whoever's listening. We want that. All the jobs. I want all the jobs. Oh, so much fun. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, we're going to get to our last couple segments here, Betsy. I do a couple of them to end every show. So we're going to get to the fun five in a sec, which are fun Quick fun, five quick fun questions designed for you and you alone. But first, I love giving people the chance to flip it on me and ask me any question and turn the tables. So if you want to ask me anything, you get one shot here uh, to fire away. So go ahead. Uh, What has been your most favorite job you've had thus far? And why? Uh, Interesting question. Uh, Honestly... Well, I can answer this two ways, right? Because I think about this a lot. 
Uh, one wasn't a real job, but still maybe my best work experience ever was in college at the student paper because we were completely independent and autonomous, no affiliation with the school at all. So we had to raise money. We were there five nights a week, sometimes till three, four in the morning, putting the paper together and just a staff like that. It's all kids kind of figuring it out, fucking up along the way, but learning and getting drunk afterward and just having such great times. Like we went through some wars metaphorically together, and I still haven't captured. Because once you get old and an adult, you deal with like shitty bosses or weird coworkers or people who aren't your age that just don't get you or whatever. But we were all just there for the same thing, and we loved it, and it was great. So I don't know if that counts, but the Daily Orange shout out Syracuse, love you guys. Okay, and I have one other question. Uh, what is like one of the weirdest things that like a fan? has said to you or like a coworker has said to you like about either like your, like your performance at a job or like the job itself or like, has anybody ever like said anything fucking weird? Like critiquing me or giving me some like, like, like a, like a note or like one of those like bad, like one of those backhanded compliments where, you know, I mean like I walked out of the stage door of Matilda once having just played the lead in like blue eyeshadow, blue sparkle eyelashes, and like pink lipstick, and they're like, "Which one were you?" And you're like, "Oh fuck." <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, interesting. Um, I don't think I've ever got anything like that. Uh, I've gotten back to it. Yeah, well, here's a fun story. I used to judge records for Guinness World Records, adjudicate them, I should say, is the proper term. And uh, one time I was judging on New Year's Eve 2011. Jersey Shore was super hot. And so Jersey Shore was there at the MTV New Year's Eve Spectacular in Times Square to do a record and then hang out for New Year's, whatever. So I judged the record and I got to stay there to watch the ball drop in Times Square, which was great. And I was in the TRL studios where Carson Daly used to host. So for me, it was like a dream come true from being a teenager watching TRL every day to doing this. And as I'm watching the ball drop, after the ball drops, uh, this crowd member, this audience member, bites the back of my head, bites my hair, not my head, my hair. And I turn around and I'm like, excuse me? And she goes, oh, nothing. I just, when I saw you judging up there, I was wondering what your hair tasted like because it looked like it might taste good. And I didn't know how to respond to that because how do you respond to that? So... That's the weirdest thing everyone's ever told me, like on the job or something. Yeah, yeah. I, that's yes. That's exactly what I was aiming for with that question. And by the way, I've been on I've been on TRL for real. Yeah, and uh, I think in this is totally going to date me. In 1999, they had the MTV uh, the Video Music Awards at Lincoln Center, okay. and it was my first year in college at Juilliard. And they had papered the the colleges in the area to see if they could fill up the space in Lincoln Center where they were, they were going to have like a concert going on and, and whatnot. And so we were by the barricade and Carson Daly and I think not Matt Penfield, uh, Dave Holmes. Dave Holmes, yeah. Dave Holmes were, were hosting and we were like, come down and talk to us. And we totally got I totally got on TRL. Oh, that is so great. I'm very jealous because I would literally watch that every day, five days a week after school when I get home. So it was amazing. Of course. Oh, Oh, of course. Good for you. All right. Well, time for the fun five bets. Uh, Five quick fun questions designed for you and you alone. Question number one, say I'm the best agent in the world and I got you any role on any show or production or whatever you wanted tomorrow. What would you most of an existing property want to perform in? Oh, goodness. Is it a music? Like, is it a theater piece or is it like a television show? Your call. I mean, I shoot. It doesn't exist yet. I want it to be like martial arts, pop star extravaganza, but with like acting in it. I want to feel. All right. And I like I don't and I like to be really active, like make me dance, make me sing, make me act like I'll ride a bike and like do martial arts and like kickbox and, you know, whatever. All right, there's the like, elevator pitch. Like Mockingjay the Musical? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I like that's a good tagline there. Mockingjay the Musical. Coming to, coming to Broadway. Yeah, fall 2017. Um, question number two of all the... Wait, I, I do have another one. Okay. 
Or make me some sort of star on Empire. I want to be some sort of pop star on the TV show Empire. Ooh, you you and Cookie going toe-to-toe and head-to-head? That'd be fun. Yeah. All right, so Empire. Betsy's here and and ready and willing. Uh, question number two. Of all the uh, – let's talk theater here. Of all the productions you've been in, which show, as an audience member, would you most pay to see but, like, bang for its buck? Because obviously to go see Hamilton, you're going to be dropping a mortgage payment, uh, basically. Some of the other stuff yeah. maybe you can get for cheaper. So on that sliding scale of quality of show versus the the quantity of money you got to spend, what would be the one show you'd recommend to go see? Um, I, I mean, I guess for that, it would be it would be a tie between Memphis or Matilda. Both both were really spectacular shows. Pretty much anybody I know who came to see Memphis and like didn't know what is it, what it was about, they were just like, "That was great. That was so much fun. Like the dancing was awesome, the music was awesome, the story was good. Like it was just, it, it was great." And then Matilda is such a dark like family, it, but like a family show, and like the kids in it were spectacular. You know, you had the comic relief. Like it was just, they were both really good. They were both really good. All right, there you go. There's the recommendation. Question number three. You're also an avid photographer. Follow you on Instagram. You'll see lots of cool pics and snaps. If I got to give you the opportunity to go on an all-expenses-paid photo tour, you just go for a week and take pictures somewhere, anywhere in the world, where would you want to spend that week? Oh, my God. I don't know. Everywhere. Nepal, India, the Middle East. You can't say everywhere. It's a cop-out. you got to pick one. Damn it. I don't know. That's far. Oh, gosh. That's... Uh, let's let's say Nepal. See, you can pick one. It's not that hard. Question number four. Uh, you're also obviously very talented singer. So, uh, whose singing voice are you most jealous of? Oh, oh goodness. Um, whose singing voice am I most jealous of? Jesse J. Ooh, I would not have expected that, but that's an interesting interesting answer. Jesse J. Because I love that she's got some she's got some rasp to her but she knows how to riff too and she can hit some of those really high notes but like doesn't always feel the need to um yeah i love jesse J. all right love it and question number five we're bringing it full circle because as we talked about at the beginning you and i have another podcast where we talk about pro wrestling every week so what betsy of any existing song if you were a pro wrestler what would your walkout your theme song be when you jerk the curtain, come out to the crowd, millions are, are adoring you. What would you be coming out to musically? I have thought about this so many times because I've absolutely daydreamed almost on the daily about like being being a WWE superstar. But like I still can't decide if it would be like if it would be rock or if it would be pop. Or if it would be hip hop, like I, I don't, I don't know, but it would need to be, I think it would need to be hard. Like it, it needs to be hard. Like I would totally be a heel. I wouldn't be a face. Everyone would hate me. I would make fun of all the women. I would do all of their entrances, like physically look the way that they do when they do their entrances. I would make fun of all of them and I would keep my short hair and I wouldn't get fake boobs and people would wonder if I was a lesbian and it would be awesome. <laughs> so we're going hard metal to match your hard character. Like, like Metallica we're thinking here, or even like Slipknot or like even harder. No, but like even like hard hip hop, like, like, you know, it could be it just needs to, it just needs to be hard. It needs to be not necessarily angry, but just like, bad ass like far too much confidence like bordering on arrogance which i don't actually i don't actually have all that confidence in life but it would just be so much fun to pretend like i did that's what being a character is all about isn't it yeah betsy this is amazing we're almost at an hour right now i think we may even hit that definitely by the time we're done with this so uh this is awesome thank you so much for taking the time uh let the people know plug whatever you want to plug where they can find you what they should go read or watch or just follow if they love you and want more of you. Uh, great. I am on Twitter and Instagram at B E underscore Strux on Facebook. I'm Betsy Struxness. Um, I highly encourage you to go read the blog that I wrote for the ensemblist and tweet it at the Tony awards. Like, you know, keep tweeting the article to them. And while you're at it, like mention that you'd like me to present it. <laughs> 
or maybe that I should be a Tony voter because then I get to see all the shows. Um, but, but yeah, you know, go support theater, go support, like just go support. That, that's what I want to plug. Like go support theater, applaud, be a, you know, an active participating audience member. You know, I'm one of those that likes a raucous crowd. So do it. Just don't bring your cell phones. You can be loud and everything, but no texting, no Snapchatting, none of that stuff. Yes. Yes. Don't be Madonna who yeah. texted her way through oh. Hamilton. No. Oh. Don't be Madonna. Yeah, good life advice for anyone listening. All right, well, Betsy, this was amazing. Thank you so much, and uh, I'll be talking to you next week for some more wrestling. But for now, I appreciate it, and have a good night. Me too. All right, and to all you guys, thank you very much for listening. Make sure to check out MikeJanella.com for all previous episodes of the show and how to find me on social media. I'll have links to all of Betsy's stuff as well. In case you missed any of it, don't worry. I got you. One more time, Betsy, thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks to you guys for listening. We'll try and do better next time. See ya!